Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we are set to explore another movie. And as promised, that movie is Braveheart, one of my favorite movies. So this has been an evening that I've been looking forward to. And as we are set to talk about Braveheart, as always, I have Father Mike Ritter in studio with me. So, Father Mike, great to have you with me another evening. Thank you very much, Joe. So, Father Mike... Braveheart, as I just said, one of my all-time favorites, and it's really interesting. <laughs> For every person that I have a conversation with about their top 10 movies, Braveheart seems to find its place in that top 10 list. I don't know. We didn't talk about this beforehand. Yeah. I don't know if that's the case for you, but... You know, it's interesting. It's definitely a classic. It's kind of one of those iconic uh, films, and I think it's definitely also a bit of a guy movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I suppose you wouldn't find this movie in the top ten of yeah. a woman like When Harry Met Sally, right? Right, right, right. So we're shifting gears, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly this is one of those movies that everybody's seen. And it's interesting. I was going back to the box office and what this movie made, and I was expecting to find it in the top fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, and nowhere to be found. It grossed seventy-five million dollars, which which isn't bad, right? right seventy-five yeah. million dollars, but up against you know the Avengers. Infinity War, what we just uh, treated oh, a few weeks ago, I think is up close to $700 million. Yeah. So just to get an idea of how much one movie might make against another. So $75 million. Some movies have lasting power or even uh, get bigger as time passes by. And, and I would say that's, that's the case with Braveheart. Well, you know, not only does this movie have lasting power, but it has some of the really constitutive... Uh, elements of a good movie it's it's deeply emotional it's got mm. resonant themes it's yeah. action-packed it's uh you know one of the things that struck me i was uh listening to some of the chatter online about the movie and and in kind of uh uh joking or almost mocking fashion uh some commentators made an interesting observation that i thought was kind of profound huh. he says like this movie is like six of the same movies you know, like uh, he says that this is kind of the same theme in a sense that you find in like, let's say, Gladiator with Russell Crowe. Yes, yes. Uh, even another uh, Gibson film, The Patriot. The Patriot, mm-hmm. And so they were listing off these movies like, ha, you know, look, it's the same thing. Yeah. But I, you know, that struck me as something profound hmm. uh, it, it, to our point in terms of um, our analysis of why these movies speak to the culture and you know, the Christ-haunted culture, and what is it about this kind of movement, emotionally or morally or whatever, that this story keeps getting retold in very successful ways? These are all big movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So that that opened up that question for me, the um, that sense of the tragic loss of the beloved one that sends the hero on this mission for retribution or for justice or for whatever, and the initially reluctant hero who doesn't want to get involved, you know, yeah, yeah, and how that kind of uh, stirs in him not only the personal vendetta, but this kind of uh, epic heroic struggle for, for what's right. Yeah, and that really is the identical theme to what's going on in the Patriot and the Gladiator. <laughs> yeah, and the Gladiator, and the gladiator. His family gets yeah. murdered, and now he's going to take <laughs> yeah. he's going to yeah. take down the evil emperor. Yeah, don't don't tell anyone, Father Mike, but both of those movies are also my top ten. So I don't know what that says yeah. about me. Right? Well, but it's interesting that <laughs> yeah. that uh, we're telling the same human tale, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, in the costuming and in the specifics of this movie or that movie, different time yeah. periods. But I do think there's something to be uh, pondered or cracked. And maybe, I, I mean, this is hitting me now. I didn't really get inside of this in the pregame. But, I mean, there's something to be said for the fact that a lot of these movies are, you know, um, getting at that same emotional or relationship core or that same value core. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, more than a discussion about any of this, this movie or that movie, it might crack open for us a discussion about uh, what, does, what does all of this represent in terms of that core, that nugget yeah. that, that keeps expressing itself uh, in these screenplays. Yeah, the loss of someone and how that loss leads to just not a new act, but a whole new life. We, we now look at life differently. So, Father Mike, as it relates to the movie itself, Braveheart, just by way of brief summary, I know many of us have seen this movie, if not all of us. Braveheart is the dramatic interpretation of a medieval Scottish patriot, of course, William Wallace, who leads this uprising, right, this uprising against... The English win the love of his life, <laughs> Miron, um, has been slaughtered. Now, he leads his army into one battle after another. And his advance is so great into England that he actually threatens King Edward's throne before he is ultimately captured and executed. And he's captured and executed because of the threat he had become. Again, to appreciate this movie is to appreciate that this man, William Wallace, ultimately started with just his small clan, and because of his heroism, ultimately, it grew, it grew, and it grew. But again, he was captured, uh, he was executed, and we're going to talk about that, but not before becoming uh, this great symbol for free Scotland. Now, if you were to ask me, what is the one theme that kind of carries this movie? Certainly on one hand, it is freedom, but we should not overlook, I think, another a very important piece. And that is what we find in the very beginning of the movie. When under the tutelage of his uncle Argyle, Wallace leaves his home, young Wallace leaves his home to be schooled in the arts of linguistics and warfare. And as the movie speaks to it, he returns, right, many years later as one formed, as one ready to go to battle if and when necessary. And so what you have here, Father Mike, is I think a very rich theme of being formed so as to be sent. What we watch all throughout this movie is but a reflection of his formation, a reflection of his time with Argyle. Uh, What do I mean? Well, when he needed to speak as he ought, whether it be French or Latin, he spoke, right? When he needed to uh, wield the sword as he ought, he wielded the sword. Uh, He did whatever was necessary in the light of his formation. And again, this is something I think very important for us because this, of course, is a great revelation that comes to us from sacred scripture. Oh, yeah, I think, and that's such an important Christian theme. What is it? I mean, apostles are literally those who are sent, you know, sent by the Lord. And I think Mark in his gospel puts that sense of of discipling and mentoring and whatnot in, in the most concise and, for me, the most beautiful context. I think Mark just makes the observation that Jesus chose those he wanted, that they might be with him, that he might make them disciples. Mm-hmm. That, uh, in some sense, all of that early missionary activity, all of the, the missionary apostolic activity of the Church is rooted in that sense of being, being chosen by and being with uh, the Master and then being sent by him. And I, I just think that that's such a deep and important impulse, uh, to be mentored, to be discipled, and 
in our culture that where the the uh, ultimate value is to be autonomous and original and true to myself and unique and all of that, um, I do think there is kind of a poverty for uh, to be discipled. The security that comes from that, the um, the father or the mother's blessing that comes from that. So I, I think that to pick up on that uh, as kind of standing behind his own person and his own uh, kind of heroism is um, something very worthy of our consideration. Yeah, and it's also to remember, Father Mike, that there's a juxtaposition to be had between the word disciple and the word apostle. The word disciple literally translates as one who is a student or one who is learning, versus the word apostle that literally translates as being sent. So you're first formed, and then you are being sent, right? You are first a student, then you can then be a teacher. So we are made to see one in light of the other and the other in light of one, if we're really going to get at this. And we should also insert into this conversation that (laughs) God does not call the qualified, but qualifies the call. And as He does, He does with His own gifts, and those gifts form us to become uh, the teacher that, that we ought to be. Well, you know, and just just on a very practical level, uh, a lot of times when people will call the office, let's say, for example, to make an appointment, they want to talk to the priest, and I'll ask the staff, well, you know, if you can make a note in the in the calendar, what is this about? And, uh, you know, people generally don't want to say uh, to somebody else, and so it'll always come in as spiritual guidance. Mm. There's a meeting at one o'clock, so-and-so wants to see you, what is it about? Spiritual guidance. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You know, and that, and that is, I mean, 90% of the time what people sure. will say. Yeah. But, but it does, it speaks to something to me, uh, not that I'm, I'm the spiritual guide, but, but that we have this deep sense, uh, somebody who can kind of lead me, shape me, form me, help me to organize my experience. And that, I do think that that's kind of in stark contrast with some of our cultural self-starter, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, figure it out, do it your way culture. Yeah, and the Apostle understands that he is always learning at the same time, right? What we are saying now is not that, you know, in the spiritual life you have graduated from perfection, per se, and now you understand all things and everything in every situation, but just simply that to some degree you have an understanding of something, and ultimately now you can help someone better understand what situation they might find themselves in. Yeah, Yeah. I think there, there is no graduation. Yeah, I mean, what does our Lord say? Be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. It's really a direct exhortation, a direct challenge to uh, strive to always become more. Yeah, There will always be imperfection this side of the beatific vision, right? There's yeah. always going to be a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be, and we are to really live in that gap, becoming the person that God calls us to be. And and you see in this movie, becoming, you know, as a painful process. Mm, yes. <laughs> Yes, I, you know, I, I, one of the very significant themes here for me. I mean, you you can't get away from it, and it, and it really touches on that sense of nobility and cause and all of that. It's just this whole um, theme of freedom. And um, you know, one of the things that I would be critical of, in a sense, but but it's so much kind of in us is this idea that freedom, the noble cause, is always a bloody cause. You know that it's it has to be fought for, and we have to pay we have to pay for it with our blood and with our sacrifice. Mm. Mm. And that's certainly true to a certain degree, but but specifically, uh, this is going to it's going to be a human life cost and a physical violence cost. And um, that does seem to be you know you look at our history, that does seem to be the world's way 
uh, even for to to fight for noble causes. And and certainly there are uh, you know we could spend a whole program and talk about just war theory and yeah. the obligation we have to defend the weak and the innocent and what's what's right. At times, you know, when when physical violence is necessary, it is sadly. But um, I do think that we uh, there is a romanticism in movies sometimes of this uh, physically violent kind of overthrowing way to peace. Yeah, and I, I do think that uh, Jesus, to a certain degree, kind of deconstructs that or he turns it upside down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so while the the movie really does uh, br- bring out, you know. Uh, William Wallace is the man of action who's acting decisively against injustice and calling a people to uh, to revolution and to freedom and all of that's wonderful and they're sacrificing nobly and all of that. Uh, but I, I think we do have to acknowledge to the uh, the gospel of the world there yeah. where and we've touched on this before. Yeah. yeah. Where uh, really physical violence is the only answer. Yeah. As I listen to you, Father Mike, what I hear and what you're saying is that ultimately. What you have in the Christian revelation is the great paradox. We no longer take the life of another, but we take our own life for the greater cause. I'm, mm. I'm reminded of those words from Tertullian, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Benedict XVI once said that the one last and final proof for the existence of God is when man lays his life down for another. And as you said it, not taking another but ultimately laying our life down for another. And yeah, this is something to reflect upon. And, and as we watch Braveheart, we are reminded that there's great power in laying down your life, because in the end, we know this is what he does. And as we witness this, as we watch this, we ought to be reminded of the much deeper truth that when we do lay our life down, it draws others around you to believe in what you believed in. And Jesus says that there's no greater love than to lay down your life. What he yeah. doesn't say is, you should go take a life. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> if we're going to talk about what it means to lay down your life, and certainly something that comes through in this movie, what do you have to talk about, Father Mike? We certainly touched upon it in our pregame huddle, but courage. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we talk about courage, we talk about fortitude, we talk about bravery. In it's more classic sense, when you talk about courage, you're talking about just that general attitude of valor towards anything that comes our way versus bravery is more that valor in concrete situation. What do I mean by that? Our whole existence, Father Mike, is made up of this connective tissue between the good and bad, the joys and the sorrows, the people who assist us and help us versus the people who hinder us and betray us. And we want to just embrace one thing or just choose one side and reject all the rest, mm-hmm. as opposed to, as opposed to embrace the joy with the sorrow, mm-hmm. as opposed to embrace the good with the bad, the, the people who assist us and the people who betray us to embrace the whole thing. That, to me, is courage. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and you know, Father Mike, <laughs> William Wallace very much, you know, he, he embraces the good and then he, he embraces the bad and, and maybe... He takes this life and that life and many others, you know, as the movie portrays most graphically. But there is a sense of he embraces all of life. Oh, I think that's so beautifully said. Um, And I just want to make a comment for our listeners. The hand movements that went with that point you were making. I I wish 
I wish this was YouTube right now because that was the choreography of that whole. <laughs> YouTube's coming, right? Yeah. God willing, YouTube's we coming. Are, we're, we are. We're, we're working on that, by the way. Just a footnote. A side note, yeah. yeah. That was a way footnote way down. Okay. Um, but thank you for that choreography. That that really moved me. <laughs> you know, and, and in my comments, I'm certainly not suggesting that we don't have to fight and sometimes, uh, you know, violently so to to you know for for what's right and what's necessary. But but to this point too, I I think that. When we're talking about drama, you know, this war is always just kind of the dramatic setting inside of which this real human story is being told. Yeah. The human story of valor, the human story of uh, courage, and, and, and as, you, as you put it so beautifully, and this war is the, uh, the makeup and the costuming and the lighting. Yeah. But, but the real, to me, the real content of the story is uh, that human content. Mm. Yeah. Know, again, you know, one of the... One of these key things we keep coming back to in, in the same vein and has to, something to do with character and relationship. I mean, th- probably the most powerful moments in these movies is when the beloved leader gets up on his horse and gives the speech. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's such a resonant thing. Did you know, did you know that that speech was actually taken from Shakespeare? You know, I'm not sure if I knew that. Yeah, yeah, I think Henry V, I it think. Could be. I, I, yeah, I'll have to go back on that. Anyway, this, I just but thought the, that was interesting. But that's such a great uh, dramatic tradition, first oh, yeah. of all. Yeah. You know, that that time and again, and, you know, in, in different genres and when it works its way in, that here you have the leader who, you know, people are following him because they're loyal to him, and he has the words, you know. And, and so that, that relationship piece, the importance of the character of the leader, uh, all, all of that stuff, and... Um, kind of uh, riling up the troops. That's Mm. always just such a powerful moment in any story. Yeah, speaking of rally and words and leadership and character, this all comes to a crescendo in the plaza, right? When William Wallace, after being persecuted, is now set to be executed. He, He enters the plaza in cruciform, right, on a cross, which of course is a direct allusion to the way of the cross and our Lord's own crucifixion. He goes to his own Calvary, if you will, where he is even tortured more, and the cross becomes the altar. Again, (laughs) the illusion is so rich. What's striking about this, after the people in the plaza are throwing things at him and spitting at him and all the rest, something, oh, by the way, we saw in our treatment of Narnia, if he says the word mercy, the torturing will stop. But yet he doesn't say it. He resists it because he doesn't want to become subject to the very thing he was so critical of, right? So you have the the plaza, the people in the plaza yelling now as they see this man suffering, mercy, mercy, just say the word. And does he say mercy? No. He says freedom, freedom. And of course, the great paradox, again, we, we have this word coming through this evening, a word that means contrary to to expectation. In a great paradox there in the plaza, what you have is an unveiling of a deeper truth, that his cry for freedom was the actual cry for mercy. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, if we were to transpose that, I mean, what is mercy ultimately but freedom? Yeah, even though in the, in the narrative, in the script, just say the word, just say the word mercy, right? And here Christ is on the cross, giving his words that we've come oh, to know yeah. them. You know, and, and I, this, yeah, I mean, just strikes such a resonant note for me. I think one of the most beautiful prayers that, as Catholics that we offer in the Mass, right before we receive communion, 
We say, Lord, I'm not worthy that, to receive you that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, mm. and my mm. soul would be healed yeah. if you would just say the word. Yeah, and it's something so powerful uh, mm. that that th- this uh, this act really captures that deep sense of power mm. Uh, mm. inside of this. I, I I really think that that's. I mean, you give me goosebumps just talking about it. Really, well, because of its deep truth. Yeah, right. Because of its deep truth. What is the ancient law to life but the simple truth that death must precede it? Mm. Death must precede it. And what we see in, in this movie is William Wallace. Again, I know this is a dramatic reinterpretation of it, but William Wallace laying down his life, and ultimately it gives birth to his cause, his cause for freedom. Now, if we're going to bring in an important historical note, and I do think this is important, Edward the Bruce, the man who... William Wallace kept on encouraging, encouraging him to, to join him. He, in the real story, okay, in the actual events, uh, never had to be really encouraged, and he never really betrayed him, right? Um, he was by his side all the way, so much so that it wasn't William Wallace's heart, but Edward the Bruce's heart that ultimately was kept and thrown into the battlefield before they went into battle after he had died. So Edward the Bruce's heart became this um, relic, if you will, mm. that bore witness to this deep truth of giving your life for a cause. Consequently, brave heart, right? That's where the movie comes from, brave yeah. heart. Yeah, that's so well said. And so to kind of take us back full circle for me, the, um, there's something about the authority of the leader uh, being rooted in his own experiences of loss, you know, because the, 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 for uh, William, for these other characters you know the the journey begins with some deep sense of loss and a revenge which becomes transposed you know that some at some point it ceases to be a personal vendetta and it becomes you know the the public fight for justice or whatever mm, mm. I, I do think that um that authority rooted in in losses is something so important uh i had a you know way back you know more than 10 years ago, a buddy and I, we used to be, we had our own little uh, rap operation going on, on hip-hop. <laughs> do we he, get a rendition of that? Yeah, well, <laughs> we're not going to do that today. Okay. But I remember one of his uh, lyrics he'd always say is, my authority is pain. Mm. You know, and that, that always kind of struck me. Um, there's a famous story about uh, one of the saints, the mystic. I don't know if it was Therese or who, who the devil appeared to her uh, as Jesus and I think that was St. Catherine of Siena. Catherine of Siena. I, I think, I think. And yeah. she says, get out of here, Satan. And then before Satan goes, she says, how did, you know, how did you know that it was me? And she says, you don't have any wounds. Mm. You know, that if you were Christ, you would have had the stigma, you would have had holes in your hands mm. and in your feet. Mm. To this point of the, the blood of the martyrs as the seed of the church and the sign of the authentic Christian leadership, this, this deep kind of human existential that death precedes new life. Yeah, uh, There is this, de- and you see it uh, in these great kind of tragic, heroic figures, that a, a deep uh, kind of a foundation of their authority is their own experience of loss mm-hmm. that uh, is transposed beyond revenge to leadership. Yeah. You know, because the man has lost, he can look at a people who is losing and raise them up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it becomes... That our personal betrayals, our personal hurts, they become a pathway to empathy and compassion and solidarity. Mm. If, and if they're not transposed, uh, they remain toxic for us. Yeah. So, so we might we might look at some of our our wounds 
and, and see in them an invitation to solidarity and to justice and to compassion and to understanding, to leadership. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because if, if they're not transposed, uh, they remain kind of infected and they get retransmitted. Uh, so perhaps there's something there in the story that we keep retelling with different costuming. When you were talking there, Father Mike, I couldn't help but be touched by your language of uh, wounds and invitation. And as I was, I was made to think about that word salvation again, right? That the word salvation with its root save uh, means what but healing, right? Christ on the cross restores us to the origins of our purity. He restores us to health as he heals us. And how do we enter into our own salvation? How do we enter into that great passage from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, where we are called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling? But through an opening up of our wound, by becoming vulnerable. Mm. What else here? I cannot help but think how this whole conversation brings us back to our opening program, right? Where Jesus Christ entered into human history, revealing to us what it means to be fully human. This is what lies at the heart, I think, of our project, Father Mike. Constantly watching these movies and putting them in the light of who Christ was. Right? Jesus Christ reveals to us what this movie is about as it relates to the ancient law of life and how death always precedes it. Mm. And what he teaches there for us is ultimately to be human is to understand that, yeah, our whole existence has this connective tissue that if we are going to become the person that God is calling us to be, we have to embrace the joy with the sorrow, the good with the bad, the people who build us up, and the people who break us down. Once we do this, we will begin to better understand the mission of Christ. Jesus Christ was a real person in history. And what we ought to understand is that who was real in history, Jesus Christ, is renewed in mystery. Okay, And we enter into our own renewal when we enter into the mystery of Christ. This is why, Father Mike, life itself is not a problem to be solved suddenly and abruptly, but a mystery to be lived continuously and perpetually. So beautifully said and so lyrical. You said you weren't a rapper, but history and mystery. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't, don't go there. No, I, I, I think so. I, you know, these movies, they allow us to look at our stories in characters that are different enough from, their, from ourselves so that they're not threatening. But I would say we can all look at uh, William on the altar and say, cry mercy, cry mercy. We all know what it is to, to feel that just give up, mm. you know, just give up. And for him to, in a sense, say no. Um, Freedom. It's, <laughs> it's, yes. so, it's so resonant because every one of us has been on an altar like that. But the movie portrays it in a way that's different enough that we can see ourselves in it without being threatened by it. Yeah, that safe place that we've talked about before. Yep. Uh, so important if we're going to engage these movies with the redemptive value. So important. All right. Well, Father Mike, uh, another fun evening. Next week, well, we'll just leave it to our listening audience because I don't know if we have a movie in the queue per se. Yeah. Send us a recommendation, what you'd like us to talk about, and we'll we'll go and watch I it. I know there's a lull in the movie theater right now. Yeah, there's not a yeah. whole lot of movies that people are excited about in the movie theater. So, Father Mike, can you close us with a word of prayer? We give you thanks, Father, for your presence in the drama of our lives, and uh, we call you to the center of that drama as we ask for your blessing, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Father. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.